We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. All right, welcome to the Eight Black Hands podcast. We're not doing no intros this week. Well, where we are, but we'll just add second name. I'll jump right in. So, Charles, you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, we can't hear you really, really well, Ray, but uh, but you can work on that while while I while I talk about Miss Franklin. How you doing, Miss Franklin? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, let me properly introduce you to these folks. Uh, today we have Tanya Ortiz Franklin. She's an educator and leader who grew up in her community and has served the students of Los Angeles Unified for the past 15 years. As a child in 1963, her mother immigrated to the U.S. uh, from Mexico. Uh, Though she uh, struggled with her own schooling, she was dedicated to ensuring uh, that folks had access to education uh, opportunities. So it's a lot more in this piece. I know you're running for District 7, but welcome to the show, Ms. Franklin. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So so <laughs> beyond. Can you guys hear me? We're good. We better. can hear you better. You, you're better right. now. Yeah. You sound like right, you have straight. a mic now. All right. So, Miss Ortiz, Miss Ortiz, talk to us. Tell us your why. Like what, what makes you so passionate about education? Yeah, thanks. Um, so I grew up in the district that I'm running for school board in. Um, my mom came to this country as a kid, came to L.A. as an adult. Um, I actually went to a private school until fifth grade. My dad's child support paid for it. And then when it was too expensive to go to middle school, she started looking at public schools and got you know, held up by the magnet school system. So I went to the next closest elementary in L.A. Unified. Um, I went to L.A. Unified Middle School and high school. And I graduated about 20 years ago alongside less than half of my incoming freshman class. And that's when it hit me that this is not how it is across the country. It was too normalized. There were too many kids for whom educators and the community was not riled up enough about their opportunities to go to college, to pursue their wildest dreams. And I was lucky. I was supported to be able to do that. I went to college in New York City, came back and was a teacher in LA Unified. um, And I did the best that I could for my sixth graders. Um, But I myself was laid off in the last great recession. We know that some of our policies are not just inequitable for kids, but they're also inequitable for the adults that try to serve them to the best of their abilities. Um, So I went to law school at UCLA and came to a nonprofit Mm. that I've been at for almost 10 years called the Partnership for LA Schools. And we work um, in tandem with LA Unified to transform some of the schools most historically neglected by various institutions of power in Watts and South LA, um, also Boyle Heights, but about half the schools I work with now are in the districts that I would represent. So, you know, my why is really rooted in my personal experience, my teaching experience, um, my heart and my gut for what justice in this country looks like and feels like. Um, and I just want to serve on a larger scale because kids deserve people who put them first. Mm. Yeah, so fellas, jump in. I'm sure you guys have questions. LA, uh, LA is huge. Uh, yeah. Was it the, the largest school district in the country? What is it, Charles? I don't. Know. I don't know. It's second largest. Yeah, second it's largest. Like, New York. The, the three is this New York, the, LA, city, and Chicago. The the one that's kind of you're right next to. You know. The question York. that I have for you, Miss Tanya, because I know we only got you for a little bit. It's a crazy election season. Uh, why are you the best candidate for District Seven? 
I've, I've spent my career working in LA Unified and whatever happens in this election, I will continue to work on behalf of black and brown youth in LA and South LA and Watts in particular. And, you know, I was listening to your podcast from last week and, and people commenting on like why people get involved in school board elections. And you're right. A lot of people see it as a stepping stone or a way to have power. And for me, I hope people see that my career has been about kids and their opportunities and will continue to be hopefully in this role as a school board member. Um, And I think, you know, we've been doing a lot of voter outreach, talking to folks and feeling really good about their similar vision that it should be people who have um, been close to kids in classrooms, um, who've been working alongside teachers, who've been in schools, who understand both where there needs to be a lot of change, but also where there's some real success that we should be scaling and we should be escalating and celebrating good stuff. Um, And then being really honest and courageous about the stuff that isn't working. Um, And I just really hope that people see that that has, that's how I've led my career and that's how I'll continue to be as a board member. Yeah. Breezy, I'm sure you got a question, bro. Let's go. Well, you know, I'm I'm interested in knowing like what you're hearing as you campaign and you're knocking on doors and you're talking to people. I mean, you're going to take voices with you to the board. You win on Tuesday. You're going to take voices with you. Those people. What are you hearing right now that you think that the board is not hearing or not acting on? That is the will of the people. So it's a lot of people and it's very diverse. So that's one of the things I love about L.A. Um, But, you know, majority people of color, majority low income, uh, lots of students learning English, students with disabilities. You know, you have to think in L.A., I I would be serving 150 schools. There's almost 400,000 registered voters in my district. There's not one message. And in L.A., it would be silly to have one way of doing things. And I think as a board member, my job is to really remove the barriers that make it hard for those closest to kids in classrooms to make good decisions about their unique community. And and that's what's really challenging in a district as large as LA is, you know, it's an $8 billion budget. It's over 710 square miles. It's over 600,000 students. Like it's huge. And people, you know, understandably come up against these huge challenges of how do we help all kids go to college? How do we help kids um, read and write and be critical thinkers? and be uh, mentally healthy and well, and you think, well, here's one idea, let's just do it for everyone. When honestly, what I'm hearing a lot is there are different needs in different communities. And what is hard is when there's this kind of one size fits all for everyone, or here's what we think every school needs when it's not about that. It's about recognizing the unique needs. And honestly, when we talk about educational equity in LA, we have to be really clear that it does mean giving more to some communities that have been historically left behind. And that will mean for some communities in LA where there has been more, you know, history of wealth and power that you have to give some of that up because if we want all of our kids to go to college, yep, go ahead. You know, (laughs) question though, no, no, we're going to push on that just a little bit. Are you hearing anything that you would act on when you are campaigning and you are talking to families on the ground, live on the ground, are you hearing anything that you're going to act on? Yeah, the the big thing is just that we don't have enough resources, right? So everyone does say that. And then when I think about the diversity of my community, some communities in the district say not enough looks different in San Pedro versus in Watts, right? And so as a school board member, there's a, a local policy we have, and there's been some dragging feet with it, but it's something that I really want to champion in LA. It's called the Student Equity Needs Index, which takes into account all the things that I've been describing that community activists have been working on for the last several years to recognize um 
you know, it's not just about what's happening in the school building, but also asthma rates and and gun violence in the neighborhood and incoming, um, you know, student scores that we should be thinking about all of these things to give more to schools where students have a higher concentration of those kinds of needs, right? And and yes, give less to communities that have had, uh, that don't have to have the same kind of struggles, right? And so what I'm hearing from neighbors, and it's not door knocking, it's just phone calling and texting now, um, because we're all kind of virtual during this pandemic. Um, But what I'm hearing is people say, well, what about my kid? What about my school? And that's real for every parent, for every neighbor. You you want your community school to be great. And yet, as a board member, you have to think, okay, that looks different for every school. And so for me, it is about putting more resources through the student equity needs annex. We have this um, in California, the local control funding formula that gives LA like a, a billion dollars that should be going through this index, but only about 50, uh, like a fifth of it goes through that index right now. Um, and that gets like in the weeds and the nuance of like school finance. Um, but that for me is, is a non-negotiable about like what I'm going to be working towards. Mm-hmm. All right. So question for me, uh, what's your take on school choice? Period. <laughs> yes. There was more to that question. Is there, there need to be more to that question? Um, so public school choice. I am not yet a parent, and I am a big fan of parents getting to choose and being given um, helpful information and digestible information about the kinds of choices that are available to them. So, you know, I was saying LA is really diverse. We have magnet schools, we have pilot schools, dual language schools, schools for the advanced studies. But of course, everyone wonders about charter schools when we talk about choice. And there are many students for whom the traditional system has not done well enough by yet. And I believe as a non-parent myself, like every parent should be able to make the best choice for their child. And we should be thinking about innovation and trying on new things and potentially sharing them across different school models. Of course, that means got to have accountability and transparency when schools have a lot more flexibility like charter schools. Um, but I, I am a big fan of um, making sure that we have divorce great options for, for all families. Yes. And so Reef closes out because we don't have Miss Tanya for long. So, sir, what's your question? Uh, I have so many questions, but I think I'll just ask, you know, how you talked about a lot about the, you know, families and things like that. How will you capture student voice? Um, are there one, are there students on the school board? Would you be open to something like that? And then how else do you capture the voice in such a diverse uh, and large sprawling city? Yeah, there is one school board member um, who's a student in an advisory role. For the last three or four years, we've had a student member. Um, There's also a superintendent's advisory uh, student group. I'd really like to have that just for Board District 7 and include students who are not just the ASB presidents and five AP classes, um, but really represent like the diverse experiences of our students in a regular sort of meeting space with me as I'm thinking through resolutions and policy decisions. And we should also be surveying our students more regularly. We do one annual survey and it's anonymous, um, but getting, you know, student focus groups together. Um, and now that everything is digital, it actually is easier to get some more information from students and give them the feedback of how their voice influenced our decision making um, to serve them better. So absolutely, I'm a big fan of figuring out better ways to not just serve our students, but to listen to our students because they know how they need to be served best. Well, thank you for that. Uh, does anybody have a closing question? Well, I know you said she had to leave at the 10 mark, so 
We're I'm, whenever you need me to leave, I can leave. But this is great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I just wanted to know because uh, I'm, I'm running a pack in Oakland, and there's just been a lot of pushback. It's gotten really nasty and ugly in this campaign cycle, and I'm really familiar with how ugly it gets in LA. So, what has your experience been, and what, and 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 just on one of your final thoughts, what do you want to leave uh, the the voters in LA with, uh, and why they should go with you? You're right. The uh, education politics in L.A. is really messy. There's a lot of outside money that gets spent. um, And you think about all that money that could be going directly to serve kids. Right. Like L.A. is a wealthy place and it doesn't um, reflect itself in the public school system. Um, But, yeah, it's polarizing. It's on the very last question that I was asked about choice. Right. That either you're for the teachers union or for charter schools when like a board member has to serve all of their kids well and close to 20 percent of our kids are in charters, 80 percent obviously, in traditional. Um, and we have to serve everyone well. And I hope that voters will see that I really try to take into consideration the diverse needs of each of our community members. And I'm going to make some mistakes. I'm going to need people to hold me accountable, um, to, to hold me to my integrity and the values that I've been trying to run this campaign with, and really that it's about putting kids first. It's about considering the unique perspectives of so many people. But what is it going to take to really make sure kids have their best options once they graduate, which means more of them need to graduate and they need to be fully prepared to choose college. So mm-hmm. I hope people will see that in me. And I, I hope to um, be a good partner in that as an, as the next school board member. You know, I just want to jump in and say one thing. So last year, your superintendent in uh, in Los Angeles came out and trumpeted the progress that had been made in Los Angeles. And uh, he was trumpeting things that he could things that don't really matter, but things that he could. He was looking for the positive in the story. There's a quote from Seth List, uh, Seth Litt at at Parent uh, Revolution, who said, at this rate of improvement, the children now in kindergarten will be 65 years old before every kid in Los Angeles can read. (laughs) At this rate of improvement. So this district is on track right now that the Kindergartens will be 65 before every kid in Los Angeles can read. One of the wealthiest places on planet Earth. More money than baseball and football put together. Uh, All of Hollywood money, all that glitz and glamour and all that. That's crazy. And a city full of kids can't read. I also want to put a plug in for my black people in Los Angeles because they have been displaced. What used to be black L.A. and what used to be a fairly black city and a city that had some semblance of care about black people is gone. Last 10 times I've been in Los Angeles, it's just been, and I've been going to Los Angeles since the the 70s, actually did fifth grade in in Los Angeles. Uh, um, And um, it's terrible. Nobody cares about black people in Los Angeles. I just want to be real. So I'm going to put a plug in for whatever your school board does. Please put black people back on the map and teach kids to read. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody can read a movie script if you can't read. Damn. I mean, that seems pretty simple, right? Like care about our kids, care about our black kids and make sure everybody can read that. That seems like not hard to do in theory. I'd run on it. If I were you, I'd run on that. Mr. Ortiz, Mr. Ortiz, he speaks for himself. You yeah, run I do. on your platform. I do. I you do. run on your platform. I just speak for me because Ray does not like black kids reading. So I do uh, I do want to be clear about it. I, I speak for me. <laughs> not even going to contest that. <laughs> uh, no, I just wanted to put that quote in there because it struck me as just like it hit me right in the heart. Mm. Like, All right. You know, that's it. Yeah. So, Ms. Ortiz, any closing words? 
thank you all for what you're doing. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll get to come back someday and be a good school board member and doing better by our black students for sure. Godspeed. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thank you. We will check in next week. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yep. Next week about the results. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Have a good night. Have a good night. All right, man. So I know we got another guest to come on, but I mean, just any thoughts uh, before we before we move on? 65 years old. (laughs) Like that's that that hits right. Like that's all around the country, (laughs) you know, probably all the senior citizens (laughs) before uh, equity. And then even then they'll be still waiting. Right. Like it'll be the next generation. So I, I, I hope she, you know, brings that urgency that that uh los angeles needs that everybody needs you know um across the country and they hey, don't have it hey, now. Hold, that, hold that on the screen mom dukes what's up baby happy birthday uh your birthday was on the 28th uh and thanks for coming and rocking with us we appreciate you mom dukes <laughs> happy birthday yeah all right so 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 fellas uh real quick this is about to turn into a panel discussion all right we got uh two uh we got another board candidate uh, John Little uh, down in uh, in Nashville. We tried mm-hmm. to get him on last week, but fortunately, God allowed us to have him on today. Mm-hmm. And then we got uh, Naomi Shelton, who is on the charter school board in uh, in, in D.C. Uh, different dynamics, but uh, this should be a real dynamic discussion. So uh, let's do it. Let's bring him on. All right. Hey, this looks like a party right here. <laughs> well, well, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Hey, uh, Reef, aren't you in, tra- you're in charge of, uh, of of whose bio, Reef? Of yours. <laughs> <laughs> Reef, Reef, follow the script. <laughs> I didn't see any script, bro. So oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> I didn't see a single script, so I'm sorry. But so the only person that reads that Slack is the only person that reads the Slack is Charles. I read the Slack. I wouldn't say that, but no, I wouldn't I, say that either. I read the Slack. <laughs> All right. So, man, who, if y'all don't do these intros and get these people talking, <laughs> y'all really gonna just stand there and be still. I can jump in. All right, so, first off, we got John Little, right? And John is my man. Uh, okay, wait a second. Really is anybody else getting a lot of feedback right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody got to turn down either they, uh, their yeah. computer or they got two computers on or whatever the case is. Um, or we're going to need earbuds earbuds because we're catching uh, yeah. heavy, heavy feedback. Yeah. So just for the moment, mute yourself if you're not talking until we figure out who that is. But um, first off, I'll do John's. Um, I met John a few years ago. Uh, he's been really, really active in, in Nashville and he has an amazing story. And then I got to spend a little bit of time with him when he came out to Oakland to chill every now and then and help. And, and, and helped an organization get growing in. He's always been a solid brother. Uh, I'm in love with his story. I'll let him tell his own story. Um, and I've caught some heat with and for John before. I wrote an article a while back when I was still writing at Huffington Post um, just around some things going on in his area. And he stood up to a bully out there and the bully didn't like it too much, man. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, my friend, uh, he's a warrior and just a dope black man doing some dope stuff. John Little, everybody. Man, hey, applause it. track. Hey, do we do we have a, I, don't, I got the track board, but I don't, I don't have the applause. But you don't need the applause. You're a black man. Let's go. Let's get it. <laughs> Appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. And I don't know if you want me to go into it, but yeah, like 
just as the first time running for office, helped a lot of people run for school board. Um, and our school board member in district court passed away over the summer, unfortunately. And, you know, while I spent my time looking for a candidate, somebody said, John, why don't you run? And mm -hmm. I thought about it mm -hmm. and I said, that may just be a, a good idea. And so I've been doing this for about five to six months now. That's what's up. So what's your, what's your platform, bro? Like what, 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 what kind of change do you want to see? Yeah, so it's really easy, man. I, I say it's a lot of the little things that make a big difference as you look at the shirt. And and what I, I want to make sure every kid that graduates from um, Nashville Public Schools is that they're college ready, mm -hmm. career ready, and community ready. You know, college ready, even if they don't want to go to college, they're academically ready. And, and I think our kids deserve that. We spend close to a billion dollars on our schools each year. Career ready I think we forgot about vocational, but in Nashville, we are building a lot of buildings. And so every building needs a plumber, pipe fitter, electrician, HVAC, um, and other vocational trades. And so I want to make sure we're bringing our students who may not want to go to college, who may just want to do a trade. And then I just ended always with community. I just believe when you volunteer, you learn things you normally would not learn on a in a traditional classroom setting. And that's why I'm running for school board. I want to make sure every child receives a world-class education. But again, I want to make sure they're college, career, and community ready. That's what's up. That's what's up. So, fellas, let's go. You got any questions for John? Matter of fact, no. Well, since we got Naomi here, you might yeah, let's, let's yeah, introduce this queen first, man, before we, before, so we can get some of this energy going, this black woman energy. All right. So, uh, Reef, did you do your homework? Bro, let me tell you something. I'm, just for the audience, because you ain't going to keep, you know. So Ray sent something this morning. I did not say I was at the range pretty much all day trying out different uh, different uh, tactics and firearms. Like, that's what I was doing today. I got that's back. I spent a little time with the kids. Right. Mm. And then um, I jumped in. Right. And so no, I did not see slack mm. uh, Republicans. Or anybody else out there? I did not <laughs> see the Slack. I just saw it just now. Here comes if, the tobacco. If a, bro if a brother doesn't tobacco. respond to Slack, <clears throat> just say like, "Hey, did you see it?" Yeah, you know I mean, <clears throat> don't, don't try to blast a brother on the <clears throat> Like, no, I did not see. It. But what I can tell you is, <clears throat> Naomi is dope. She's been doing great work for a really, really long time. I'm proud to know. Her. I'm proud to count her as a friend. And she, this is the type of sister that I, I wish she was also, uh, you know, encourage, you know, coming to. The Philly folks, because I, I got three vacancies. We got three vacancies. And I want folks like Naomi and Little to come and, and speak to folks to encourage them to jump on as well. But mm -hmm. I, I'm proud to know uh, Naomi. Too, and she's been a big brother. supporter for a long time. So you thank you for being fly. here, Naomi. There Bro, you go. You, you did hey, it on the hey, hey, listen. Hey, yo, listen. You did, it. you did a you did a really good job. He did it. Still turn your turn paper in one day late. <laughs> and the professor could still fail you if they wanted to. So I, I think that you you want my parents to come up to your school? Fail me. <laughs> fail me. I dare you. I dare you. Hey, hey Nate, so jump in here, Nate. Uh so your your uh your board tenure is a little bit different from uh it's different. Yeah. Uh so DC back in uh the mid to late 90s uh created the School Reform Act. And that is that was the the work that led us to having charter schools here in the district. Mm. Uh and that those seven seats, and I am a, a member of a seven-member board, uh, are all you know, essentially 
tapped by the mayor. So I had to go through a process of uh, vetting, pre-vetting, and then having to be approved by D.C. Council. So essentially, um, I'm weighed in by everybody. Any and everybody in the city, depending on who you voted for, uh, has to approve the um, appointments of all of the board members on our board. Uh, we have a four-year term, and we basically have the uh, the authority and um, oversight for all of the charter schools here in the district. So if a charter school is performing poorly, um, you know, you guys are looking at it through a fine-tooth comb and ultimately can close that school down. That is correct. Mm-hmm. And I've d- voted to do that, I think, now four times. Four times? hmm Okay. So how many district schools have been voted on to be shut down in DC? Uh, voted on that has never, that hasn't happened. Uh, in 2007, when our, uh, we basically shifted to mayoral control, our then, um, chancellor, you know, evaluated, looked at some of the schools, looked at the resources that were being spent uh, to maintain some of those schools and did a consolidation and closure. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head now how many schools were actually closed, but there was a a sweep of schools that during that period of time, which had political implications. So, but I thank you all for uh, inviting me on tonight. Of course, I spend time with each of you differently and in different uh, different ways. So, of course, the the show that Ray and I do, but then of course the work that I do with you all in different ways is always great to break bread with you in this yeah. official capacity. Hey, listen, so I, I, I'm hearing about this virtual happy hour that you and another one of these dudes that's on here is a part of that I haven't been invited to. So other dude that's on here. Keep it that way. Keep it that uh, way. Other dude, other dude that's on here. Make sure that I get an invite, sir. Thank you. Please. How, I mean, Appreciate. how how is he supposed to get invites to somebody else's manager? Right. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's, and, it's not my party. And, 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 and I just want to add to this that black children are still illiterate. <laughs> Absolutely. Great segue. Happy hour or not. Happy, I just want happy, yeah, happy hour, or hour or not. Everything we talk about, That's I still right. want to say with people that are running for school board or on school boards or whatnot. One thing I know for sure about school board is that there are some pretty big misconceptions about what the public knows about the job and what the job actually is. That so is I would be interested in saying asking uh, John, like, what do you what are you hearing that you think is one of the biggest misconceptions that the public has about it. And Naomi, you know, if you can jump in, let's demystify some stuff for people. What are the misconceptions? Yeah, I would just think the range of our role, you know, on the school board in Nashville, we have three primary roles. You know, one is to hire and or or evaluate the superintendent. Um, Another one is to pass a budget. And so we have discretion discretion with the budget. And then the last is just to make sure academic achievement increases. And so one of the things that I really want to focus on, because those are just important by itself, academic achievement, you know, it's 50, only 54% of the students are reading on grade level in my district. And I think if, if that's one of the three things I need to focus on, like that's what I'm going to focus on. And then, you know, governance, you know, I'm not creating a lot of policy, like I'm making sure our only employee, if I'm elected, is making sure academic achievement increases. So we just have those three roles. You say 54 percent? 
54% of the only 54% of the kids are reading on grade level. And we're one of the, I wouldn't call us affluent, but we're one of the kind of lower middle class type of districts. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a few school districts in Nashville that are, that are much lower in reading achievements. So, Damn. so this is a, let's go back to that question. That's a really good question. Um, yeah. What powers do you have to help increase academic achievement? So school board members, uh, well, so, so I don't know, John, jump, jump back in there because I think you just yeah. answered it, but. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, in our superintendent, you know, our board has just been really dysfunctional. They spend a lot of times um, debating with one another. They spend a lot of times talking about charter schools um, and all the while over the past, you know, eight or nine years, like academic achievement just continues to decrease. And so in my mind, what I want to do is really work with the superintendent and hold them accountable. Like, what is the district's plan and how do we grow that plan? How do we support that plan? How do we evaluate that plan? Because again, you know, I'm running in a Hermitage, Old Hickory and Donaldson, which is more, again, middle-class and, and affluent. And so we have some school districts. I'll tell you in one district where the valedictorian scored a 14 on the ACT. Um, and so we just got some, real academic issues that we need to focus on. And, you know, out of the three roles that I'm tasked with, that's what I want to focus on the most, increasing academic achievement. Yeah. Hey, John, you got a message in the, in the, in the, your head is kind of cut off. We want to make sure we see that. Yeah, you got beautiful, it. That beautiful black face. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to ask you about your skincare regimen at the right. end. So, <laughs> make sure that everything is good. All right. So, um, so, yeah, there's there's some misconceptions about about uh, about what uh, board members do, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, boy, if you're if you're a school board member, we talked about this last time. Your job, you, the only job you have is, is is to supervise the CEO, the superintendent, or whoever it is that's the top dog in that school district. You're not going into classes. You're not worrying about teachers. You're not worrying about any of those other things because that doesn't fall into your will well in terms of what 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 you specialize in. Your specialization is to go out and hire a really good superintendent that's going to make sure that he's on the ball, he or she is on the ball in terms of doing that work, right? And so I just want to clear that up for people in the audience. But fellas, jump in. What questions y'all got? Well, I still want to hear Naomi's answer to that uh, question, too. So I'll bring it back up for you. So essentially, um, I am a volunteer. I am an appointed volunteer that has the authority to uh, to authorize charters, to uh, continually review charter schools. So I spend a lot of time visiting schools um, and then going through the the potential opportunity to have to close a school, which also includes Mm -hmm. a lot of review and assessment, et cetera. So the board that I I sit on uh, also has a staff. That staff uh, helps us with several functions, including monitoring schools, um, the transparency of what happens with those schools, and the interventions that we are able to offer um, as a board. And so every charter school that is authorized here in the district uh, receives a 20-year charter, essentially, but it is, it is uh, monitored 
and reviewed every five years. And so in that time, you know, we have a uh, we have a mechanism that allows for us to look at the all of the data around their performance and outcomes. And we have a performance management framework that allows us to tier our schools. And depending on where those schools fall um, in the tier, so we have tier one, which is high performing, tier two, which is, uh, you know, medium, and then tier three, where there are some things that could happen differently. One of the things that it's always always amazes me is that even in talking to council members, elected council members here, they don't realize that being on the board is not my sole job, right? I legitimately do not get paid or do any of that. Um, this is not my my daytime job. Um, and so the people that are responsible for all of the things that happens with their constituents, they aren't even fully versed on what it is that that our board does and how we function. And so the staff on the day-to-day manages uh, everything from reviewing the uh, financials of schools to make sure that they have uh, the number of days of, of cash on hand to be able to function. Uh, we provide, um, in the closure process, we provide wraparound services to make sure that families are able to relocate to other schools. But in that day-to-day, I spend time talking to school leaders, talking to parents, talking to uh, other board members about what is happening in the ecosystem here. Um, There's a cross-government function. You know, we're an independent agency, but of course, having to work with DCPS and with the office of the state superintendent. Um, And a lot of that cross-functionality means that there's almost more uh, work that goes into what we do than what our elected school board can do because of our mayoral control. And so uh, they make recommendations in terms of how all of those things happen on the traditional uh, public school side. But other than the the autonomy that each individual uh, charter operator has here, we are making significant decisions on uh, whether or not schools open and whether or not schools close. Mm, Yeah, that's what's up. Charles, you got a question? Yeah, I got a question. Um, And Naomi, you can jump in on this as well. I just know that we are a few days out from the election. So, John, I just want to hear a little bit more from you around how is this how is this campaign been going? Have there been dirty tricks or whatever the case is? And then also, you know, beans, John. Absolutely. Right. And then what is your you know, I want you to give us your pitch for why people should go out and vote and not just vote, but vote for you. And you can put that and, and put this out in these last two days of campaigning. Yeah, so I'll tell you how's the race going. And and I'll tell you, and this race has been really interesting um, because it's it's more of a suburb of Nashville. And the majority of the voters are um, over 55 and Caucasian. And so a lot of people were worried about, man, John, do you really want to run in this district with, you know, older white men and women? And and I love it, though, because, you know, I've lived here my whole life um, outside of travel. And I just realized white people want the same, black people want the same. They just want accountability. And so when I talk about my message at the polls um, of being college, career and community ready, I'll tell you, it has resonated, you know, hate it or love it. You know, people who are riding with Biden are like, John, I definitely got your back. And even people who are riding with Trump, like, have my back. And so you'll see people come out of the polling booth um, and say, dude, I loved your message so much. You know, I'm voting for you. Or they'll send me a message on Facebook. I have like 12 or 13 messages of listening to every candidate and then listening to you 
I resonated with your message more. And I, and I almost feel like, um, you know, if I win, Lord willing, like it's a few things that I just got to do because people have just given me thumbs up and say they want to see it. I'll say on the dirty stuff. Oh, my gosh. Like a black man running for school board who is unapologetic um, about supporting all kids, you know, mainly mainly black kids is what was difficult, you know. I mean, I'll jump right into it. I mean, I've been a union supporter. My brother was in the SEIU. Um, my other brother was in the Plumbers and Pipefitters Union. And just to see the hate um, that came from the unions, it's just it's just been like eye-opening for me. And so this, this is this is going to be a difficult challenge, I would say. You know, it is a lot of hard work is definitely paying off, but the dirty politics have been there. They're here right now. And I'm pretty mm. sure some more are coming. But I'll tell you, every time people play dirty in this race, I get so much support because my message is resonating. So when they go dirty, they highlight my name and people do research on my name. And then they still come to support me because they like, hey, I love what you're standing for. So mm. this has been a journey. Yeah. When they go low, kick them in the teeth, yo. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Hey, you sound like some old dude that like they just, they just let outside and they. I, am, I embrace my my elder. I'm my baba hood. You and know he's, I mean? he was at the range all day too. So yeah. you know, yeah, you know I mean, so Nate, we swinging that question right to you. Yep. So of course, because I do, I'm not on an election cycle, it is slightly different. But I think because of the rhetoric around charter schools, there's a lot of negativity that comes with that, and unfortunately, a lot of that uh, conversation is had in social media over social media and really the people driving those conversations are not from the communities that need and have a you know the the why we have charter schools in DC and so my biggest uh challenge has been uh you know I, I transitioned jobs in the midst of my my uh, tenure but the idea that there are people who have enough time and energy to sit up on Twitter and just find things to be angry about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we host monthly meetings, third Monday of the month, um, every month. Uh, and of course, that did not change when we switched into uh, quarantine. And so prior to meetings or prior to major votes, I, I because I had such a large presence on social media, would often uh, be attacked or um, just have really strange things happen. So one of the things that I found the most interesting was uh, while I was still working for UNCF, um, a, a gentleman who just so happens to be a uh, counselor at one of our schools east of the river uh, decided that he wanted to like call out UNCF about the work that they do and who's on their board. And he literally went through and uh, (laughs) I mean, UNCF has corporate partners and um, people on our board are, you know, work any and everywhere. And so he basically tweeted and included all of these organizations and companies in this tweet about me. Um, I I remember I was flying at the time, so I was on a plane. I didn't see everything because, you know, the Wi-Fi cuts off at a certain point. I get off the plane and I look and I'm like, he legitimately tweeted at Wells Fargo, McDonald's, like any and everybody that he could possibly think of. And this is simply because of a disdain, uh, unreasonable here for here in D.C. and unreasonable disdain for charter schools. And so a lot of my frustration is really rooted in that we have elected officials who know why it is that we have charter schools and they are not 
um, doing more to be vocal and thoughtful about how they talk about our our ecosystem, our education ecosystem here. And so as a, you know, as a volunteer, again, I have a day job. So a lot of the um a lot of the work that I used to do in terms of like sharing out resources and reports and data, I don't spend a lot of time doing any longer, which I think is a detriment to the people that need to hear more about what's happening in the charter sector, but also just need to know and hear what's happening in um, education for black and brown students. And so I've had to dial back a lot of the presence that I had on social media. Um, I've recently been um, accused of some nefarious activity, which, of course, because I'm a public uh, official, I can't sue the person. Um, but there are all these little things and nuances or, you know, just um, issues that come up that you don't necessarily think of when you think of other boards and commissions that uh, D.C. Mm. has. And so like an elected official, um, there's this onslaught of criticism and critique mm. and unnecessary, you know, um, banter that happens, but I don't have the protection of an office or a staff to help me through that. That's what's up. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Hey, uh, sir, so uh, collaboration, right? So collaboration between uh, public schools and public charter schools. How are you going to make that happen if you're elected? You know, I would say, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. You know, we got to take the brands out of it. There's a lot of what I've been saying. Like, if it's a public charter school that's educating our kids, like, I want to support it. You know, if it's a traditional public school or, or magnet school, I think, you know, people come up to me, you know, at the polls, and I, and I know how they feel. And they'd be like, what is your stance on school choice? I know where they stand. Or if they ask me, what is my stance on charter schools? And it's been some tense moments, but I look people right in the eye. Um, and they ask me about charter schools and I say, one, do you have a child? Um, and then I say, two, do you want the best for your child regardless of the school? Um, and, and that's how I always start each conversation if they come, you know, in a negative sense, because I just think at the end of the day, our kids are the best thing that we have. And we just not going to play politics. You know, I went for um, the teachers union endorsement. Right. And I didn't get it. I knew I wasn't going to get it, but I wanted to give feedback on why I didn't get it. And I and I actually had an opportunity to talk with one of the members and she opened up to me. She told me that her son had got accepted to this public charter school, which was a really good one academically and culturally. But she is like big in the union. And so she went to the union and she said, hey, like my son got accepted to this charter school. What do you guys think? And they were like, oh, we really can't tell you what to do. But that's, that wouldn't be a good look for you to be on our board and also have your kid in the charter school. And ultimately, she chose to remain in the teachers union. And I just told her, I was like, win, lose, a draw. Like your son is the best thing you got and you shouldn't be playing politics and no one should encourage you to do what they think is right on behalf of, of your son. And so at the end of the day, we got to we got to send our kids to the best schools because as, as black and brown people, our kids are just not getting good education, period. So we don't have time to play the brand game. If it's Nikes or Adidas, if I can dunk it, I'm going to wear a shoe. I don't, I don't care what brand it is. Yeah. Hey, listen, for a good time, you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a former all state basketball player. Charles is okay. not. Charles is not. 
right? <laughs> and so, and so, no, because you always talking about I hoop, I hoop, I hoop. So I just want to make sure that we put that out there. And I was people, a top ten point guard in there's California. People, there's so people like, that are in these comments that can about? fact check that. All state, New York. All right. About? So, but anyway, um, <laughs> oh no, wait, wait, wait. Fact checkers, this is what I want from people who are listening to this right now. Fact checkers, I want you to go online, go into Google. And Google black literacy in Nashville. Yeah, there you go. No and tell back. me what bring Google tells you when you Google black literacy in Nashville or anywhere. anywhere. What I just heard two people say that I think is really important that I, I, I have to like say something about is that number one, we want all the competent people in every locale running for school board. We want everybody getting onto boards and, and hiring superintendents, setting the vision for what those schools are going to do, setting the expectations and holding that superintendent accountable to a certain set of goals in life. And year over year, making that an issue and bringing the community along with that process every step of the way, bringing the community in on the evaluation of the superintendent, Mm -hmm. bringing the community in on the teacher's contract negotiations, Mm -hmm. making sure that all of these things are open to the public and transparent so that the public can see what is going on behind closed doors. There should be no closed doors. There's no such thing as closed doors. These are public schools, right? These are public schools. What are they called, Chris? They're called public schools. I got to say the way that my friend in Mississippi says it. The public schools. This is my point. This is my point about the public schools (laughs) is we need you, you folks and more like you. We need to clone you in every city. We need three or four or five real people running for these offices. But you all just said something that I think is really important for anybody getting ready to run to know, though. Mm-hmm. Is that there are Ku Klux Karens in every city that have hey, a lot of time. We can't on, do that. I'm Twitter. stepping away from that as on a Twitter. Biden, on I'm Twitter, stepping away from any of the. Any, well, let me finish my point. Let me finish my point because this is real. This is real. If you are going to run as a black person in any city who's going to say, I'm going to be about doing what's going to get kids educated and everything else is noise, mm-hmm. you are going to encounter some special interests. And those special interests are not necessarily black achievement or brown achievement. Those special interests are jobs. And, and the story that John tells about uh, I could replicate John's story several times about the woman who's in a union, but had to hide the fact that she had to put her kid into, into a charter school. Mm-hmm. You have a story like that in Oakland. Absolutely. I know I got a times like that in the Twin Cities. Wow. Right? That's not that's not a regional thing. Wow. That's real. That's national. One of the reasons that it's so frustrating here in D.C. is that uh, nearly half of our students, our student population in D.C., attend charter schools. Mm -hmm. And so to have council members who essentially turn a blind eye to what's happening in terms of how we talk about education in its totality, um, they're ignoring half of uh, they're ignoring. I won't say half, but a good portion of our constituents and more than likely those are constituents who have been pushed the furthest to the margins. And so by ignoring or or buying into the rhetoric around charter versus traditional, we're doing a disservice to children. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are one hundred and twenty eight public charter schools here in D.C. I've only visited probably half to a, uh, a little more than half or have had conversations, substantial conversation with their school leaders. And so when you think about how 
charter schools start in different places. It all depends on the policy and the law that created the ability to create charter schools. And that being being a part of that oversight means that you have to have full context, knowing that there are parents here who went through the traditional system themselves and they've they've opted into this this other option. Um, that is is the way that we're talking and thinking about it now is ignoring all of that history, right? Mm. It's ignoring all of the context that comes along with what happened here and bringing the national narrative or the, the narrative that is more pervasive into a discussion where it doesn't need to be. We've seen DCPS, DC public, char- um, DC public schools have surpassed some of the outcomes that we've had for charter schools. So that competition has been helpful in terms of what it means for outcomes for students. We've also seen where there have been schools that were up for closure. And of course, instead of them closing, we've seen other charter operators absorb those schools so that students can still stay in a a building that they are familiar with and they can have um, a better management organization offering the, um, the, the education in that school. But the idea of that adults are turning this into something that it's a has, litmus test. They right. want to make it a litmus test. They want to make when you run for office, wherever you are, they want to make it a litmus test. Are you A or B? Are mm-hmm. you for charters or against charters? And, and we have to step, and we have not. to step out of that trick bag because that's a yep. devil's trip bag, trick bag, yep. right? There is no right answer to that. That's a in politics, you call that the how often do you beat your wife question. That's mm-hmm. an old cliche, right? There's no proper way to answer that. We need to step out of these trick bag political questions mm-hmm. and get into real questions. Like the fire back on a question like that is, mm-hmm. is what is the black literacy rate in this city right now and who's responsible? Preach. Right. But that's the only thing I care about. You can keep asking me about if I'm for charters or private or choice. Do I like unions? Do I hate unions? Do I love this? You know what I put on my pancakes? Do I put sugar on my grits, which nobody does who's sane? Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. want to be real. I want to bring this back to the literacy rate. If we could bring this back to the literacy rate, please. Sir. Can we say never if they ask the trick, the old trick question about me and YK would just say never? Like, no, because right. you're because you're still answering the wrong question. Don't give dignity to the question type. Tactic, give, that's right. right. But, right. but I, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, as we talk about literacy and things like this, and, and Naomi, I appreciate your answers too. Um, I didn't want you to feel like I because I'm asking. Um, because I just know, I just know that this brother's in a in a battle right now. I know how ugly mm-hmm. it gets. I know how nasty it gets because I'm mm-hmm. in a battle as well. And I'm never running for school board. I just want to be very clear about that. Um, <laughs> it's just never gonna happen. I'm never say really never. Clear. A couple years ago, you did you say did you I ever, never, think, I did you never do a ever, you, I have never said I would run for school board. I, but but here's the thing, and here's my question for you, John. Because here's the thing that I think, and here let me tell you the reason why I won't run. Tell us how you need. If let's say you are blessed to win, tell mm-hmm. us how you need us to show up for you as a community right. when you win. Because right. the reason why a lot of people like me won't run is I've seen what happens when black people run. I see when black people try to govern. I see the type of attacks. And I also see people that raise their hand about being a teacher and take all those accolades. But when it's about charters, they hide in their hands. Right. So, John, what do you need from your community and how can we best set an example that would be encouraging to other black people to run for school board in the future? Man, I'm maybe maybe because it's late at night, but I can almost shed a tear. Somebody put the Karens. It it ain't the Karens in my community. I mean, I'm getting a lot of support from older white and African Americans. Where I get the most hate from is is my own community. 
Well, you know, my age, mm, my age is 25 to 55. And I think, you know, I'll give one example. It's, it's one woman I went to elementary, middle, high school and college together. We grew up in the same neighborhood. I call her and I say, hey, you know, can I get your support? She like, hell yeah, right? So I'm like, cool. She called me back five minutes later. She was like, but what's your stance on charter schools? I'm like, are you black? <laughs> we, we grow up together. We, we talking about charter schools and I'm talking about the kids. She, she worked at an inner city community center with kids who grew up in the projects and she talking to me about charter schools and it, and it hurts. It, it really hurts, but it, it's my own community mm-hmm. who is just like, I mean, they have like thrown grenades in my face. They have cut me behind the back. I mean, they are like out front posting mm-hmm. stuff. And so it's like, at the end of the day, look, man, if you got my back, if you care about these kids, I got your back. It, all skin folk ain't kin folk. Absolutely. Lord. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right, a so- word, John, though. I want John, like, that's a word. I want everybody listening to this know that's another complexity here. Your own people. Yeah, Sometimes. Own- your own people. All right, so and, real, and, real, real quick, real quick. Sorry, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let you jump right back in, Charles. But I wanna, I wanna make oh, clear on, I wanna make clear on this. I Ray Ankrum am moving away from Ed Karen's and other racist rhetoric that oh, has God. become rather divisive <laughs> in Ed talk. Anyone that supports black and brown kids. I support. I have your back 100%. If you with my babies on on Monday through Friday, there's no more Karen talk coming from Raymond. And Mm -hmm. after uh, uh, Joe Biden wins the presidency, conservative Raymond will be back on the air. That that is definitely Ray. Uh, I will say that the the racism that I've seen in my city from Mm. white folks that have moved in and pushed black people out and don't even send their kids to the schools, whether it be charter or traditional, but are talking about privatization and this and that and the third, but they ain't talking about the own role that they've played in pushing black people out of that community. You can be a Karen all day. I would just say this. Um, I appreciate you running, John. I appreciate yeah. you doing what you do, Naomi, because it's not hard. It's not easy. It's very hard. And mm-hmm. I think I really want you to actually tell us both of you, what do you need from this community? What do you need from the yeah. people that's listening? Yeah. Because this is the thing. People will reconsider and do that if they know they got a community. Like when we was getting that harassment in Oakland, a lot of people from this podcast jumped in and helped us. And the union actually took some of that racist stuff down. They they move with audacity because they work together. So how do y'all need us, John uh, and and Naomi? How do you need us to show up for you all and, and so you can do your job? Nami, you go first. Um, well, you. sure. I think overall, um, one of my my day job is to make sure that we are connecting the work that the charter management organization that I'm affiliated with that they are connecting to community. Um, I think part of this is we have families who are you know, working hard every day. Right now, they're trying to make sure that they can balance work and their their health and their children's learning. And so it's hard to ask what community communities can do for people at this moment, right? But um, when we come out of the pandemic, hopefully by the end of spring, 
What we really and truly need is for us to start to be as vocal, if not more vocal, about what the disparities are, why people want choice, why they want to have options when it comes to schools, and to have those parent voices amplified in ways that they have not been before. Um, You already said it. There are white people that are beating drums that they have nothing to do with. And making sure that parents and why it is that they've selected charter schools for their family, we need to make sure that those voices are amplified. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, thank you, Naomi. I, and I agree with that. I, I think for me and, and Charles, you brought it up at the beginning. I didn't know how real it was until I was attacked by a white liberal on Facebook about how I just support kids. And it turned into like a, a storm that, that usually in those times, people lose their jobs, people lose their livelihoods, and, and, and you're kind of banished. He he made an open declaration, said no Democrats should hire John Little or his firm. And a lot of times he had been victorious in those declarations. And the only thing that saved me when he went like that, I had tons of people who came came to my back um, and and supported me. And we were able to overcome the storm. And now that guy, you know, is irrelevant right now. Um, And so I think in these instances, like, I just think the support, right? Like when you look at my community that I'm running for, we have the largest. So when desegregation happened in 70s, I want to say it was 72 in Nashville, our school population in Nashville was 90,000 children across the whole city. Right now to today in 2020, our population is 85 to 86,000 um, because it still hasn't hit the number because so many parents left the school district um, to send their kids to private school and homeschool. And so in this district, we have some of the highest populations of kids or of families who go to private and homeschool. So they get it. You know, I, I tell people this year we spent close to a billion dollars in our school district and kids can't read. And so for that, we need to be doing better. Like we spend a billion dollars almost each year and every year academic achievement goes down for whatever reason. It's always something. Mm-hmm. This year was a pandemic. Um the year before, it was something else. The year before that, um, and nobody's not talking about that. They just always tell me we don't have enough money for this. We don't have enough money for that. And on the trail, what I say, if we don't have enough money to invest in our kids, what are we doing education for? Like, if we just got enough money to be status quo, why why are we doing it? And so I just believe we can do better by our kids because working in education, being a teacher, I've seen the grip. Of, of what it takes to get kids where they are in the belief to make kids and families believe that you can do better than what we're doing. And so I just come with a different mindset. You know, I'm antagonized at the polls. I'm antagonized online. But at the end of the day, that message is reaching the people in my district because I'm speaking to them of why they have left the school district mm-hmm. in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's what's up. Thank you for that answer, man. Somebody got feedback again. My wife be wanting to fight. Like, I'd be like, <laughs> she'd be like, what they say? I'd be like, just chill. Right. And, and I think that that's the hardest part about um, just being in the public arena, right? That yeah. there are attacks that culturally 
we like those are fighting words. There are things that happen that I constantly have my mother in my inbox saying, I just need you to chill out on Twitter. And the, I like how, how to have those conversations and be thoughtful about um, when you are stepping into the public arena by running for office or stepping up and um, serving in an appointed role. Um, it's, it, it's, it, it hits different for black people. Um, if you are, if you are connected to community, I think it's really important that we, um, you know, when I when I do my work, I don't think about it as I am Naomi am doing my work, but I Naomi am working in in collaboration with and in community with the communities whose voices we often don't hear. Um, there are a, there's a parent advocacy organization here that has allowed for us to have um, one-on-one conversations with some of their their members. There are other schools that have invited us in to have uh, coffee chats with families and allowing them to hear and see and know what we do and to demystify what it is in terms of like who we are and what it is that we stand for. And the idea of when people step into this public arena that, you know, we have to take the hits and then, you know, keep it trucking, that, that, that is just by cultural competency, not, not true. Like I have no problem with telling somebody, if you really want to have this conversation with me, show up at one of the meetings because I, I occasionally will log on to the DC, um, uh, traditional school board. And I don't see the same people asking for the same things that they ask of us. Um, I, I know for sure that there's a disconnect in terms of like how people think about transparency when they think about it for traditional schools versus charter schools. Um, and so knowing that there are Black people on in, in both of those sectors, how do we think about what that means when they're the person that you run into at the grocery store that you have to see when you're at church or that you may see while you're in passing um, on the street back when we were still able to go outside, mm-hmm. but that these are human beings, right? That John and his family um, are, are, are real people. He has children. Like this is not just a thing of like him doing it for his ego because there are tons of people who do this, who run for office or serve in, um, in, in different uh, capacities that do it to feed their own ego. And so for those of us who are doing it for this, to be of service and in service of communities, it hits different when those things happen and being able to like check on folks. I mean, Ray will text me and ask me like, how you doing today? I saw X, Y, and Z happen. What's going on? Um, Chris and I do check-ins every once in a while. Thank God for the happy hour that I have. And, you know, having people to constantly remember that you are still human, right? Mm -hmm. That you may be serving in a, in a, a role where you had to, to, uh, you know, take an oath. But at the end of the day, you are still human and you are a human who cares about what happens to and what are the outcomples for kids. That's what's up. All people right. need to hear this. People really need to hear this. They do because of Charles' question, how do we support you? That's a very powerful question in something like this. This is an isolating role. It is an isolating position to be in. People are coming at you at midnight and you don't know whether or not your friends and fam are seeing her or are there for you or whatnot. Mm-hmm. You by yourself. Um, right. Personally, when I was on a school board, and I just want to relay this, this is why I still care about school board a decade later. I lost two jobs because of, you know, we could laugh about the Karen thing or not, but I'm just going to be real with you. Karen's was a real phenomenon. And when they didn't get what they wanted out of a school board member, they would tell you to your face that you're going to regret this. I lost two jobs as a sole breadwinner in my family 
for voting my conscience and saying my piece, saying what I was going to say. I was tracked by a private investigator. I had people dig up stuff on me and my family. And there were times where I would sit there at 11 o'clock at night by myself with my sleeping children. And in one case, my pregnant wife at the time, thinking that people don't realize how material this is how real this gets. This isn't just about like playing some games on social media and this and that, the other, they're trying to cut you off and they're playing a zero sum game. Yeah. Either I'm going to get what I want out of you. Yes. Either you're going to think and vote the way I want you to vote and be, and be against the things I want you to be, or else I'm going to do the things that traditionally we have always done to black males and to black females, by the way, which is we're going to cut off your source of income, right? Mm -hmm. This is why we have so many people like this platform, Eight Black Hands and others. This is the importance of it to me. And Charles and I talk about this a lot. You need fearless people to take this on, and then you need people backing them up, right? Mm -hmm. To check on you at 11 o'clock at night. And that's the role. Everybody's got a role to play. And if we want truth tellers to get on these boards, when Sarah Carpenter gets everything but the child of God, everybody should be running up to say, oh, no, no, no. This is a child of God. When John Little gets called everything except for the child of God on Facebook by a sitting elected white official who's trying to destroy his financial background, everybody should roll up and be like, no, this is a child of God. When somebody's trying to pretend that Naomi should be scandalized when we all know her privately, she would never do anything scandalous. So why aren't we rolling up when that happens, right? This is just my only point is we want people to keep taking these roles. We want them to be fearless and they can't stand alone. Yeah. All right. So we're going to roll into closing thoughts. And that's uh, mine. I don't have anything else to say. That's mine. All right, cool. Uh, We're going to go with uh, Charles. Yeah, I thought that was good. Um, And I agree with you. And I, and I, and I will say, um, one, thank you to our guests for coming. I got to roll out soon, but thank you for our guests for coming. And I'm really appreciated. And I know what it takes um, right now. Those Karens, right? Those people, they're the that. email that just, I'm the re, this, but I'm going to say it though. And, and, and Karen doesn't just mean white people. It means racist, entitled white women that use that privilege and power um, when they don't get their way. So I, I will say that probably again. And the reason why I'm going to say that is because I'm not even running. I'm helping out with a pack and there's an email that the sunshine email came where they asking for every single email that got my name and power to families and whatever. Uh, and they said, I know you got 10 days to do it, but we need it earlier. Right. Like these are the type of games that people play. They come after your livelihood and they come after your life. And what I'm saying is if you want more black people to run, if you want more black people to speak truth to power, they got to know that they're not alone. They got to know that they're not by themselves. And I applaud both John and Naomi around this stuff because it is dirty politics and it's not about your kids, you know? And the one question that I will always say is you actually have data on your side, people that, that care about this. We can all look in a city at what black reading race was before charters got there and after. And if it was bad before, then any of those crazy arguments and stuff that they that they talking, man, they can get that mess out of here. So, John, uh, Naomi, I'll continue to be there for you and ride for you however I can. And to my eight black hands, brothers, thank you all. It's a tough time for me because uh, I'm trying not to cuss nobody out. I'm trying not to put hands on people. And I'm not even being facetious or funny right now. I'm, I'm really not. I came back to Oakland uh, to be here with my people during the election because I got parents that have kids in traditional and charter schools and people are saying, well, you doing this because a billionaire said this or whatever, man. And my parents ain't about that game. They're not about that. And uh, and one of these people that pushed out black people in that neighborhood gonna have to see them at some point. And we trying to keep it cute and trying to keep it cool for our kids. So 
it takes a lot and it takes a toll. And listen, when Chris and John or me or Jamoke or in, or Naomi tell you about their experience, because it's real abuse that's happening and they want us to look crazy. So sorry for going off on that, but I'm in the middle of it right now. And it ain't cool. That's Thanks for sharing, bro. Yeah. yeah, no, hang in there, Cole. Hang in. I mean, it's everybody. I, I think, you know, it goes back to, you know, y'all sound like a bunch of uppity Negroes. <laughs> and and they the Karens don't like that, right? Jesus like they Christ. they don't like that. And and I say this, and again, I'm just I told this story before, but when I visit Philly School Board and I see white women in red shirts yelling at black grandmoms, that's that's Karenitis. That's what it is. Right. And so we have to stand up and say that ain't going to happen. We have to push back. Listen, if Artie Duncan gets attacked, like they wanted to run him out of town because he said something about suburban white women and their role in all of this. Imagine what happens when when uppity Negroes, dangerous Negroes, educated Negroes stand up and say, nah, we're going to do this for our children. So listen, we we got to have each other's back in the, in this in this uh in this work, and you know like just hang in there. We got your back. We're proud of y'all, and thank you for your leadership. Nay, jump in here. Closing thoughts. So first, I want to commend John on running this race. I know that running for office is not an easy task, so I congratulate you for getting this far, and um, wish you the very best on Tuesday. Um, And I encourage other people to think about what does it mean to, if not serve by running for office, to be the warrior that is constantly showing up and making sure that the the, that we all stay on task Mm -hmm. Um, because it's easy to get distracted by the, the fray. It's easy to get distracted by the red shirts. It's easy to get distracted by all of those things and people really and truly bringing this uh, polarized view to what should really just be focused on what John laid out, making sure that kids are college, career, and community ready. And I will be borrowing that. Thank you so much for that. But that that should be what is at the center of what we do day in and day out Mm. and how we all, you know, collectively show up, whether you're on the dais or you're not how we all think about this should be focused on what are kids getting and how are they getting it and, and how are we supporting the improvements of what, what, what they're getting in the various, uh, I guess, delivery mechanisms for school. Yeah. I, uh, close it out. Uh, Mr. Little. Yeah. One, uh, man, I appreciate you guys for saying this. this is like therapy to me because this has been like a long journey. And I think, Again, my my only message has been really to my people, like we got to support the things that support our kids. You know, Mm -hmm. if we are looking at schools and you see the numbers year in and year out, you know, Chris, if you look at your numbers Mm -hmm. 10 years, are they better, the same or worse? Like, I think we got to have some conversations and I just, you know, win, lose or draw in this race. You know, I'm giving it everything I got, you know, because I just think our kids deserve it. And I and I appreciate you guys like having one another's back just goes a long way. Like and I just think, you know, in this race, you know, I was I was hanging out last night and a teacher friend of mine came up. She was like, have you seen it? And it was this 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 black teacher like just going in on me. She said I was lying about something that I don't need to be talking about vocation. And I was like, look, at the end of the day, I'm not giving her any fuel. Like what I'm going to do tomorrow, what I've been doing today is making phone calls, 
doing lit drops, getting things set up for election day. And I think we got to keep this train moving. I seen Sarah on here, you know, mm-hmm. working with the Memphis Lift and now Nashville Propel. I just realized parent power, like parents who understand the system, parents who understand data and realize that it has not been working for our kids are some of the most strongest advocates. And so win, lose, or draw, that's what I want to really dig into, making sure parents understand what really our kids are going through, what really their kids are going through. When people talk about the school-to-prison pipeline, you know, and criminal justice reform, it starts with the school. Mm. Some kids are graduating, can't even read, and I just think that's criminal. And Lord willing, if I make it onto this board, I'm going to be speaking up for the least of them any and every chance I get. And what I tell myself every day, people assimilate so much. You know, you get onto these boards and you you feel like, you know, mama made it. But at the end of the day, like we can't forget about the kids who are not making it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm hoping I make it. And I'm elected to the board to take up for the least of them. Well, yeah. I would like to make an appeal before we roll out. I would just like to make appeal to everybody. I just want to make an appeal, which is um, between now and Election Day, I just would ask everybody, number one, don't treat these as down ballot races. Treat these as if they are like for president. Treat these races as if there's the most important thing. Get educated. Look up your candidates so that Mm -hmm. when you see candidates on there, you don't just do the bingo thing where you just check in. Do your due diligence on this and treat it like it's really important because it is. It's, It's the actually it's the institution that governs how and what your kids will learn. And that's very important in any community. So look up your candidates, find out their positions. If you have any questions quickly, try and get those questions answered between now and election day. Uh, If you can send money because some of them are going to have debts after their campaigns and whatnot, but be active Mm -hmm. voters on this. Don't just vote for the, you know, the, the B versus the T right. The, the Biden versus the Trump vote for your school board and treat it like it's a high, high level office. Yeah. And so uh, for the past four years, we've seen some divisive rhetoric. Uh, We've seen some new terms come up and uh, they're now hot button topics like Karen. And so, again, I am moving away from that kind of rhetoric because I'm all about inclusiveness. I'm all about togetherness because I think that together we can overcome this racism. You need to stop. And I raise my message for you folks. You need to stop. Thank you for tuning in to the Eight Black Hands podcast. We will see you next week. Hey, Libations Wednesday, we having a post election (laughs) analysis. Uh, with drinks, peace. That's what keeps he's he gonna make it into a happy hour since he can't get to the other. One, you, know? <laughs> you have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Eight Black Hands One. Thank you for listening. <laughs>